What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hvdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, and share. Now, let's jump in. So today we're going to study Luke 9. I'm super excited. Um, I love that we're studying through the, this is actually the first time I've ever studied through a book of the Bible. Like I've been in church my whole life. Um, Really been in churches where it was just topical. This has provided so much discipline for my ADHD soul. Because I'm really like, what do I want to read today? I love that we're studying Luke. It's been a year and we're still studying Luke. We're on Luke 9. Um, and I feel like it's, it's provided some grounding where it's instead of just kind of making it up as I go along, I, in my walk with Jesus, I'm like really getting to know the book of Luke. So I'm loving it. I'm just going to give you a quick intro, what we're going to talk about, and then David's going to read the passage today. As I studied this week, I began to feel like the Holy Spirit was going to meet us in power and unpack three things. And they were specifically going to be revelation for you. It might not even be something that I say. I feel like the Holy Spirit is going to say something to you. Either something I say is going to jump out, or you're going to think something, hear something that's for you. We're going to talk about miracles, and are we believing for miracles? It's a hard question. We're going to talk about money, and we're going to talk about burnout. And I felt like God was, I was like really all three. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, I'm going to do it. Just, just be faithful, okay? So I'm excited. We're going to jump into Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to meet us about these places that we really need him to talk to us about, right? Okay. So David, would you be up for reading? Is it going to go up there or no? Yeah? Let's see it. All right, go ahead and stand to your feet because participation is better than? Excellent. Today I'm going to read the first two screens and you're going to join me on the third screen. You've only got two verses to read out loud with me. And at the top of that page, it says, read together. So it's very clear. (laughs) On their return, the apostles told him, being Jesus, all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and to the countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We ask that this morning that you would illuminate it to our heart, to our mind, to our soul. 
Help us to see, help us to hear, help us to respond well in faith. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated. So if you're a note taker, we're going to do my favorite way to unpack a scripture. What happened? What did it mean to them? And what does it mean to us today? And when we do the what does it mean to us today, we're going to talk about miracles, money, and burnout. Because those things mean a lot, right? Okay, so let's talk about what happened first. The scripture opens, and I can't tell if this is more like a reporting moment or a humble brag. You know, the disciple, it opens with, and they reported everything they did to Jesus. And I think it's kind of funny because it's like if they knew, if they really knew who he was, they wouldn't need to tell him. He's been saying the whole time, I'm the son of God. He's been reading people's minds. He's been like doing miracles, signs and wonders. And they're like, Peter and John are like, we should tell him everything we did to make sure we have all the right heavenly points. Right. And so anyway, I don't know. I think it's funny. Every time I studied it, it the, the next chapter says, and Jesus took them and withdrew apart. And I just felt like I was like, was it a spanking? <laughs> like, it, it, like the next sentence was like, and Jesus took them both side. Like it was like the, the principal was like, please come into my office. <laughs> so, so, you know, this whole, okay, whatever. I don't know. Just, just keep trying. Keep trying. I feel like Jesus is the perfect parent where he's like, you know what? Good effort. Good effort. You do you. Um, so, Jesus is pulling him aside to either let him rest, give him a talking to, we don't know. And 5,000 people show up. No, 5,000 men show up. This is the way they counted people when they had big crowds of people because it was culturally appropriate at that time. Um, I appreciate everybody who participated in the Instagram poll on this. When I first studied this, I was like, I'm super offended. They didn't count the women. And David's like, it was like 2,000 years ago. Give them a break. So I put out an Instagram poll, like, do you, does it piss you off? Or are you like, yeah, no, that's 2,000 years ago. That makes sense. And most of y'all were like, it's frustrating, but I understand. So that's where most of us landed. So 5,000 men, probably 15,000 women and children. So this is the equivalent of Dick's Sporting Goods Soccer Stadium, every seat full. Obviously, when you talk about word of mouth, there was some serious word of mouth following Jesus. About Now, we'll see later, their intent for him was not his intent for himself. Their intent was like, could you please overthrow Rome? Could you please be our new king? Later, you'll see um, this is actually the only miracle that's accounted in all four Gospels. This made, like, the, the, the apostles highlight reel, like the ESPN highlight reel, was the only one. So... We see that in some of the other Gospels, it's very clear that people were there wanting him to be a king. So people are all like, this is the moment. I want to make sure I get this on video because this is the moment he's about to proclaim. You know when someone's going to announce they're going to running for president? Not that that would be like make news or anything or be like controversial. Um, but they're like, this is the moment. He's going to be like, I'm running for Roman. What is it? What, what was it? King? Emperor, the emperor, Roman emperor. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh. You guys like have totally missed the point, but whatever. So people show up and I love, I read a sermon from Cyril of Alexandria. The sermon's from like 350 AD. And he, he made this amazing point. He said, Jesus never flinches in hospitality. Even when he had an intention, he was going to probably pull aside and refresh his disciples that he had sent out, right? He was going to probably correct some, like, I'm sure Peter and John were at it again. I'm sure there was a little bit of, like, who, who's the greatest, 
did you see I healed, I healed a bigger thing than he healed? So he was probably going to parent some things. So Jesus had some things he needed to do. 20,000 people show up, 5,000 men, 15,000 women and children, saying, we need something. And Jesus never flinches in hospitality, love, and what, is it, what does it say? He preached, he preached, and he healed. Like, he, he didn't lack. He was, he, and in some of the other gospels that, that line up with the same account, they're, they're talking about how the, the disciples are so weary. They haven't even had a chance to eat during this, the, the, the last couple of weeks. And so they're weary. They're, they're, um, they're probably facing what they feel like is burnout. And Jesus is, Jesus is abundance. When we, when we talk about having abundance, like Jesus exists in a perpetual state of abundance. He is the word and he never lacks. And so we see that in here. He, ha- he ministers immediately. Now what I love is he, so he ministers all day. This is such a flex, right? Because uh, the, the disciples are like really good project managers. They're like, so you have an event. Imagine you have an event at Dick's Sporting Goods. Somebody has keynoted all day. And then you're like, so we should release. It's 5 o'clock. Maybe we do an evening session. Let's release, you know, like logistics, right? Andrew and I, we, we do logistics all day. So let's release for three hours and we'll come back for an evening worship session. And say your keynote comes to you and says... Oh, I think you should feed them. <laughs> the whole stadium. Well, first of all, I have put in a late order to a caterer for 300, and I've been cussed at. <laughs> like, 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 I have paid way too much money to a caterer because it was late. How do you order, how do you order food 2,000 years ago for 20,000 people? Is there, I don't think there's a delivery service like that. Second of all, who rolls with money like that? Like, literally, like, okay, these disciples are poor. So I was literally like, was there, like, an ATM card? Jesus, he tees up the situation that he knows he can only answer. And I want to, I, first I want to just highlight that he, he hasn't stopped doing that. He still tees up situations that only he can answer. But we think because we do have technology and we have some resources and we have wisdom and we have education that we can intuit our way out of it. But sometimes the situation we're in is really a, you should feed them. But he was never expecting them to provide the money and the resources and the catering and the donkeys to go get the, I don't know. Like, I don't know. That was not a thing. So they say, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. In one of the accounts, it's a little boy's lunch. Uh, Luke leaves that out. Luke is very just like um, details, just like m- only details that matter. So he's like, there were five loaves and two fish. Jesus, may- Jesus is like, okay, so we have a sandwich. Um, and we have 20,000 people. <clears throat> so he had them sit down in groups of 50 I had so much fun studying with uh, Katie Connor and Katie Robertson this week. And uh, Robertson pointed out that 50 in Jewish history is, was often pointing to the fulfilled covenant. It was a number that often pointed at that. So it's a beautiful, it could have been a beautiful, we don't know, but it could have been a beautiful picture of the coming fulfilled covenant. So they sit down in groups of 50. He takes the loaves and fish. He looks up to heaven and blesses them. I had a really fun conversation with my son. He goes, so he talked to himself. 
I, I, he's like, he's like too smart for his own good. He's like, so he draws his picture. He's like, this is Jesus talking to himself. It like bounces off heaven, comes back because he's God. And it was the best conversation where we landed, which I think was the best, probably one of the best conversations about the Trinity that I've ever had with a 12-year-old was I think we often expect God to act like a human and to have human limitations. And the idea that God could be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, because I can't do that, it hurts my brain. But the one thing that's helped me with the Trinity is just remembering that God's not a human. Because when you suspend the rules that humans have to work by, then you start to realize if you throw in a few, if you've ever read a dystopian novel or a sci-fi novel, you know everything you have to suspend when you create a new universe. Then you start to realize, like, the Trinity totally works. Anyway, that's a totally another sermon. But anyway, so I was working on this with David Jr., and he was like, yeah, Mom, this super funny Jesus is sitting there talking to himself. Uh, so he takes the loaves and fish, blesses it, passes it out to crowds. He feeds the 20,000 people, and there were 12 baskets of bread and fish left over. Each of the disciples took home like a week's, a week's worth of groceries. So they showed up worn out, been ministering the gospel, probably arguing because we know them. Jesus asks them the impossible. And then he never, there's never a paw. He, he asks, what do you have? And then Jesus is the one who produces the actual, what was needed. There's this beautiful um, 1850, a Scottish the, uh, theology professor named McLaren wrote a beautiful commentary. And there was a passage. I'm just going to read you this passage because I could not Guys, I'm not this smart. So I'm just going to, this, this really ministered to me about what Jesus was doing in that moment. The strange suggestion that the disciples should feed the crowd must have appeared to them to seem absurd. It was meant to bring out the clear recognition of the smallness of their supply. Therein lies the great lesson. Commands are given and apparent duties laid on us in order that we may find out how impotent we are to do them. It can never be our duty to do what we cannot do, but it is often our duty to attempt tasks which we are conspicuously inadequate in confidence that he gives them, he that gave them to us, has given them to us to drive us to him and to find sufficiency. The best preparation for his servants for the work in this world is the discovery that what they have is small. Those who have learned it that their task is to feed the multitude and who've said, we, we have no more than such and such, are prepared to be the distributors of his all-sufficient supply. I love that. And I think that in so many situations, whether it's in school in work, in personal finances, in relational needing, whether it's love, patience, long-suffering, there's a lot of relational stress on the holidays. When we, when we recognize, Jesus, all I have is X and Y, but I see this, this Everest in front of me. That's when he can move and he can multiply Put, when we can, he can put us in a position where he multiplies the thing that we desperately need and we cannot produce. 
So let's look at this. What did it mean for them? There's just a few quick observations. They were fishermen. It's kind of ironic. Jesus is feeding fishermen like a miraculously manifested fish. I think sometimes we go, well, because I physically could do this, I don't think there's like place for a miracle here. Because like I physically, there's like a physical capability that I'm, I'm able to do part of this. Jesus fed the professional fishermen fish that came from heaven. Okay, that's all. Mic drop. Um, this was during Passover. This was a really unique thing from one of the commentaries. This was exactly one year before the Last Supper. This is the last recorded miracle. Jesus goes silent because there was going to be such turbulence. There was, so much, there was a misunderstanding. People were expecting him to become king. Then the, and he was not there to be king. The celebration of the Passover moment, I think that we, if you want to do a, a deeper dive on what Passover would have meant to the disciples and what feeding 20,000 people fish and bread meant, there's some beautiful, beautiful, uh, deeper study there, but we don't have time to get into it today. So let's jump into miracles, y'all. So question, I'm just going to do a quick survey before we, we jump into like the hard questions. Um, raise your hand if believe if it's easy to believe for miracles. Come on, Heather. Yes, yes, so great. Raise your hand if you don't want to believe for miracles because you don't want to be disappointed. Raise your hand if miracles are a four-letter word because you've prayed for them and they didn't happen before. <laughs> I love two hands in the back, two hands straight up. Yes, yes. Um, That's great. We'll just stop there. Two things about miracles. First thing, I wonder if there were people praying for miracles in that moment, and they were definitely not praying for fish tacos. I bet, if you think about who the disciples are, like Garden of Gethsemane, they did this, the apostles, what's going to happen? There were probably people praying for him to turn them into 5,000 gladiators, right? They were like, this is the moment. This is like training camp. This is like, he's like, boom, and we're all like the movie, right? Like we're all 5,000 gladiators on the side of a hill, and we get ready to overthrow Rome. And, I th and I don't, we don't know that that happened, but we, we often know that we, pr we pray something, and then Jesus hands us fish tacos. And we're like, Jesus, thank you so much for this amazing fish taco, but... We have this other more pressing, more, this would have been a great solution. And I'm just going to be real. Like, I've prayed for friends who've died of cancer. And Jesus gave me his presence and community and grace to grieve. And he held me together. And I saw miracles. But he didn't give me the miracle I asked for. And I think that I was so convicted in studying this that sometimes I, I let myself practice a powerless faith because I, because I don't want to feel rejected or like my prayer wasn't listened to. So I put myself in a place where I'm fine, I'm good, 
I'm like, you know, I, like, I have first world problems. I don't need to bring my first world problems to Jesus. You know, I'm kind of like, I'll, I'll be good. I'll, I'll just like oppress down the turbulence of the things that I really could bring to Jesus. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't even think I could. My fear is it will break me if I believe for this again and he says no. Right? You know what I mean? Like I don't have the strength to pray and like we miscarried a child. How do, you, how do you pray for a pregnancy and then miscarry a child and then go, um, I'm going to keep believing for miracles. But this is what I know, that I, this is a leap. Just take it with me, okay? Queen Elizabeth said something, and it's so profound. She said, uh, grief is the price we pay for love. Because love, everyone knows love is worth it. Love is worth, it might break your heart. You might, there, you might grieve the loss of it at the end of your life. But you would never not love because you're afraid of the grief. And I was struck, I kept thinking about that kind of interaction that grief might be worth belief. Grief might be the price we pay for belief. The belief in an all-powerful, what, what was this verse? Psalm 77, 14. You are the God who works wonders and you have, made your, your, you have made known your strength among the people. I could, I could live and act and believe that my God is still that God. That he's a God who works wonders. And know that there might be some pain and grief. And I know that he might have to pick me up off the floor when what I prayed for, I got comfort instead of the answer I wanted. But I, what I would challenge us to is, would we, do we want to choose a safe, uh, kind of like pseudo-content, like I'm just going to pretend that everything's okay because I'm scared to be disappointed? Or are we going to step out in faith and say, no, God, I really am believing for these things. I trust you're a good parent. And like a, like a Christmas list, I'm going to say, Jesus, I really would like these things. And if you, I trust you. If it's not in my best interest, if this isn't in the plan, I trust you. But I'm also, that I, I trust our relationship that every time I talk to Jesus, I get perspective. Every time I talk to Jesus, I get comfort. And I think sometimes what I've realized was when I, when I moved to this place of like, no, I'm fine with this first world problems and, you know, other people have bigger issues and I'll be fine, is that I'm robbing myself of the conversation. The conversation is like... Psalm says that he, he gives us the desires of our heart. He puts desires in our heart. How can he cultivate the right desires and the right things to aspire to if we don't start a conversation? Maybe it starts messy. Maybe you say it messy. Jesus, I want X. And Jesus is like, let's start talking. Journal it. Pray it. You know, and then you start to go, you know, maybe Jesus, I could see that you may be doing something bigger. Right, but I'm in a conversation. So what I want to say about miracles, I want to believe for miracles again. I'm tired of when someone is sick, not praying for them to be healed because I'm scared that they might not get better. 
I'm just being completely honest, okay? Like, I'm tired of praying, like, safe things, like, oh, hope God comforts you while you're sick. No, let's pray for miracles. And let's, let's be, be, be grown up enough to know that, that God is still good and that we can still trust him even when the answer is no. I think we can get there. And I want that. I want that for us. I want that for me. I want that for my kids to walk in power, to walk in belief, and, and not go, well, that's too scary. Yeah. That puts me out, okay? Let's believe for miracles. The second thing is money. Jesus actually didn't feed the crowds. He gave food to the disciples, and the disciples fed the people. Jesus will give us things to care for people. He will give us time, talent, money, uh, love. He will give us listening ears. And what I want to note is that sometimes we, it can be overwhelming. You know how when you look at what your city needs, it's crushing? You're like, what do I do? Like, how do I, what do I do to help? How do I, where, where would I even start in terms of helping? What I, I think we can take a lesson here in terms of what stewardship looks like. They, Jesus prompted their action, and then Jesus gave them the thing to give. They didn't go construct a plan to um, independently, like there wasn't like a, a, a research group or like a think tank. The disciples were like, how should we feed 20,000 people? That would have been really, I mean, the ideas would have probably been horrible. This wasn't a, like, a just dreamt up. This was a divine strategy. And that's why we see it, the divine power was ready to flow through it. And I think that we, as a church, as a community, I think it's going to be so simple and so granular how God moves through us. I think he's going to give us things and then cue how we can offer that or share that. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, God provides seed to the sower and will supply and increase your store of seed. And what we see this in this passage. He not only fed the 20,000, but the disciples left fully supplied for themselves. So they were a conduit and were provided for. This is the thing I'm challenged, and I'm just going to be full disclosure, okay? Like, I'm nothing if I'm not honest. <laughs> um, that God says he provides seed to the sower, not the one who aspires to sow in the future. Already sowing. He doesn't say how much, though. I think in our time and our, and our resources, I think we have to start moving. I think that we all have limitations and we, ha we have boundaries with what, what's available. But I think that there is a soft-hearted place where you say, Jesus, what do I have? What are my loaves and fish? Because there's something that I can take to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, this is what I have. And, like, I literally have no idea how this could meet the need. But I'm trusting that my little granular, like, offering, like, Jesus dreamt up physics. Like, probably for fun. 
Seriously. And so I just, I think part of it, I think we could have a blast walking in a more supernaturally empowered life if we can step out of fear. Does it make sense? And especially with our resources, like time, time scarcity. Oh my gosh, I'm like the worst person. I'm constantly, my, um, like my intention in my journal is, I have enough time for everything that matters, you know? But I'm, I'm writing that because I don't believe it, right? <laughs> That's why you write an intention. You write an intention because you're trying to tell your soul that it's true. No, yeah, my brain is like, you do not have enough time. Time is scarce. It's running out. You will fail. Like, it's just super dark, yeah. It's great. That's why I go to counseling. Uh, so, but this is the thing. If I take my, Jesus, this is what my Google Calendar looks like, and this is what my bank account looks like, and I say, this is my loaves and fish. Literally, what do you want me to do? And he gives me one idea or one thing to do, one email to send, one person to drop off dinner for, that's for us. I, I want to live a life where I'm, where, where I'm a channel because I, I don't, the life where it's just me staring at my two loaves, my five loaves and two fish, I've done it and it sucks, right? Like the whole just staring at what you have and just like trying to keep it from falling apart. I, I want to live a supernatural life where I give it to Jesus, and we've seen it over and over. And I'll just say, David has way more faith than me. He is like a loaves and fish guy. He's like, this is what we're doing. And I'm always like, could you drop a zero and make that smaller? Could you, or could you not give that to anyone, please? Like, but he's, David is just lives in a place of like, he has this revelation on the inside of his heart. Meanwhile, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Okay. Okay, so the last thing we're going to talk about today is burnout. Inspiration and burnout. I'm going to tell you the story, hypothetical story about a girl named Megan. And um, one day, she was in worship at a church in Virginia. And worship was so good. And I fell in. I, I already broke the wall. Whatever, screw it. Um, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you should go serve in kids' ministry. And in that moment, oh, my gosh, I felt the power of God. I felt like they are the next generation. I was like, we need to sow into them. We need to make disciples. I was like, I could have preached. You give me the microphone that day. I was like 15 years old, right? I told knucklehead. But so I'm in there. I, I felt the spirit of God inspire me to go serve in kids ministry. And I go sign up and I serve. But this is the thing. I thought that you can do what Jesus invited you to do with your own strength. And so then there's that day that you wake up and you're like, oh, no. I'm scheduled to be with the children. <laughs> and, you're just, and it's like I love the children and this is like a joy. But the place of fullness that I had heard the Holy Spirit in, I was not walking in anymore. So I said yes out of full, and then I tried to serve out of me, out of empty, and I was like, what's going to come out is a lot of cussing at the children. Like, I'm going to get fired from children's ministry. And then I was like, I should, I should get fired from children's ministry. <laughs> I was like, strategies, like how to get fired. Yeah, this is a great pastor's wife. Um, but I have seen this, this cycle over and over. Inspiration, and you make a commitment based on the, and it actually is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it just feels like excitement and passion, 
but it's usually the Holy Spirit. So inspiration, commitment, service, and then somewhere on service, I get busy and I stop holding on to Jesus. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm not going to Sunday services. I'm not worshiping. And I think that I can fulfill God's mission in my life with my own strength. And then it just comes out funky. Right? Like the, the fruit is like, mm. like, you know, like there's this verse in 2 Corinthians. It's like the aroma of our worship comes up to Jesus. The aroma of my worship is like, mm, you should take a shower. Like. No, no, no. But David and I find this in our life all the time, is that we will step into a season that the Holy Spirit totally brought us into. And if we do not abide in community and the word and worship, we can physically not do it. The only God can accomplish God's mission on his own strength. And when I try to accomplish God's mission in my strength, I fall flat on my face. I don't want to talk about burnout. I think in our life, and I, let me hesitate to say, I did some research. Burnout is like a real thing. And there's a specific definition. There's a medical definition. It's an occupational phenomena right now in terms of how it's classified. And, and this is what I want to say about it. I think the path, I think if we're all, I think a life in Jesus can provide beautiful guardrails so that we don't drive off the road into burnout. Because burnout is a cycle where you, you emotionally, you stop connecting to what matters. You stop caring about what you're doing and you're not recharging in your soul. And when we st- practice the Sabbath, when we get in the word, when we're in midweek group and someone can look in our eyes and be like, you look like, are you taking a Sabbath? Because you look like Andrew Jackson's, no, no, Andrew will look at me, Andrew will look at me and he'll be like, what was the last time you took a Sabbath, Megan? No, 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 no. I was not going to put your business out there. No, and just so you go, if Sabbath is new to you, Sabbath is just a day where you start, where you purposely abide in Christ and you try not to work. There's a lot of ways to practice the Sabbath. There's beautiful routines and rituals. Google it. If you don't practice the Sabbath, you should do it. I think that when we look at this passage, we all, if you play it forward and say, okay, so the disciples, five loaves and two fish, handed it to Jesus, Jesus fed the multitudes. If they said, okay, therefore, I am supposed to replicate this on my own, and they walk over here, and Jesus, Peter, no, John's dead already. Okay, so Peter and James over here, just they're like, Jesus did it, so we should do it. They would literally, we all know, nobody would be eating 2,000 fish tacos, 20,000 fish tacos, but I think we do that in our lives. We see God do something. I saw God fill my heart up and give me joy and capacity to love these kids in kids' ministry. And then I thought, okay, I can go do this without you. Like, I'm fine. I, I mean, I know, like, the, I know the moves, 
right? It's like a dance I learned, you know, like I can say the right things and check the right boxes. But no, 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 my heart is empty. My heart, and so I think in our most valuable relationships and the places of purpose, we, the stakes are so high to be in a place where, where, we're, where, where we're expecting God to supernaturally fill us up and recharge us. And I want that for us. I want a vibrant Christian life where we are full, refilled constantly. Where we go and pour out and we come back to Jesus and we get filled up. We go and we serve and we come back on Sunday and we get strengthened. We go and we give sacrificially and then we come back into midweek group and we get, we study the word and we fill up our hearts. I want, I want that like ebb and flow because I've experienced the like, the like pendulum where it's like, I'm super inspired. Go. And then I'm just going by myself. I'm alone, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm empty. And so, I don't know, that maybe it's just me, but I want that for us. I want the full. I want, the, I want us to be a light in our workplaces because our hearts are abundant. Not because barista Starbucks, because I have, I have a, a strong ebb and flow in my life and I'm, I'm getting refilled, and I want to invite the barista into that. You see how it's different than just like, hey, you should come be worn out with me. Like, that's dumb. My favorite, favorite verse, Isaiah 40. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And Hope Valley, what I want to tell you is he can do that for you this week. He can increase your strength. In whatever way you pursue him this week, you follow him, he will increase your strength, and he can put steel on the inside of you, and he can fill the well of your soul so that the places of depression and loneliness and anxiety, not to negate professional help, I'm a huge fan, but to, to be a, a whole person who's thriving in community, that he can increase our strength. I love this. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. As we all think, you know, our generation, we've seen burnout and we've seen the effects of it. And I, I am so grateful that this ancient practice of following Jesus has such a beautiful and practical element that's applicable as we look out burnout, fatigue, um, and, and pursuing our passions. And I would just invite you that as you this week, you abide in community, you abide in the word, you abide in worship. Just remember that those can be your loaves and fish. Those practices of coming back and serving and abiding can be the thing where it's like, Jesus, I don't have the patience to be a parent of middle schoolers. I don't. But I have this. And can you 
give me what I don't have? So let's go through a few reflection questions. Number one, if you're taking notes on your phone or in the connection packet, I think there's some sermon note cards in case you want to write down your answer. Number one, where do you need to believe for a miracle? And I'm talking specifically like actually a miracle. Because this is the thing, as a church, let's, let's take a risk and let's believe for something where it's about the conversation we're starting with Jesus, right? It's not about white-knuckling the, the thing that we want. It's about, Jesus, I'm going to start talking to you about it. And let's have a conversation because I trust you. Number two, where am I sowing? As we look at our calendars and our money and our, our love and attention, where can I give? Because remember, he provides seed to the people already sowing, and I want to be that. The last question is, am I doing what God is calling me to do in my own strength, or am I pulling from God's power and strength? And I'm talking about whether it's school, work, relationships, mental health, are you pulling from God's strength? Because there, we can live a supernatural life. And I, I really want that for us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow, like, subscribe wherever you are listening from. And don't forget to share.